Today we are in Matthew chapter 6. Beginning in verse 5, read with me and then I'll, I'll lead us in prayer. It says, And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret and your father who sees in secret will reward you. And when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases as the Gentiles do for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them for your father knows what you need before you ask him. Pray then like this. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your father forgive your trespasses. Let's pray once more. God, we come to you again as Father. You are good. You are present, Lord. You love your children. And we ask that as we gather in this place to hear the word of our Heavenly Father, that you would gently instruct us, that you would remind us that you hear, that you answer, and that you desire to give your children good things. God, bless your people today. Teach us from your word. God, I pray that if there's anybody here who doesn't know you or is struggling to experience your presence in this way, I pray that they would experience you as as a loving father today. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, growing up nominally Catholic, I knew lots of prayers, but nobody ever taught me how to pray. We had a prayer that we would say every night before bedtime. And it was sweet. I've got great memories of saying this prayer. I I remember uh, memorizing the Lord's prayer at the kitchen table one day and asking my mom, what does it mean to art in heaven? And I had this picture of God just like finger painting. I mean, I was in, I was in, uh, you know, catechism at the time in, uh, in, in the Catholic church. And The Jewish community in the first century, very similar. There was lots of prayers recorded in scripture that they memorized and recited daily. But here the disciples ask Jesus in, in, in Luke's gospel, when Luke is talking about this same moment, they come to Jesus and they say, Lord, teach us to pray. Knowing the words is not the same thing as knowing to pray. And so uh, some have used this prayer, the Lord's Prayer, as a template for prayer, using each phrase as a, as a category to, to uh, uh, add to prayers to God from their own hearts. And some have also, when not knowing how to pray, have made these words their own and, and prayed to the Lord in these words uh, verbatim. So for 2,000 years, 
For 2,000 years, the Lord's Prayer has been an invitation to believers everywhere to participate in the history of God's people, calling out to God our Father through the blood of Jesus Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit. And so when we pray these words, we are joining in with centuries of faithful brothers and sisters, faithful believers in prayer. And so we're going to look at the elements of this prayer and understand how they apply to us today. But first, we need to understand, I want us to understand the privilege of prayer. See, prayer is not unique to Christianity. Since the foundation of the world, the desire for and the practice of communing with the divine has taken so many shapes throughout so many different uh, 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 theological beliefs. People as humans, we have this desire to commune with something bigger than us. Prayer is not unique to Christianity, but Christian prayer is unique. There's nothing else like it. Christian prayer is unique because at the center of what makes Christian prayer what it is, is the fatherhood of God. Christian prayer is unique because of the fatherhood of God. Perhaps there are no four words that could ever be combined to carry more weight, more meaning than the words, our father in heaven. These are massive words. I have three sons. Asher is 11. Thank you so much for those of you who've been praying for my son, Asher. He broke his arm uh, a week ago yesterday and had to have surgery. And the love that he has experienced on, from all of you and the prayers that, 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 that we've received uh, as you guys have been praying has just been so, so special to us. So thank you for those of you who have known about that. But Asher is 11, uh, Judah is nine, and Cannon will be seven this Wednesday. Um, and at some point in their lives, they learned that my name is Adam and not Daddy. And they all at some point work up the courage to call me Adam. It was really funny when they learned that Adam actually meant dirt and then they would call me dirt. Um, uh, but at some point they would work up the courage to call me Adam and I would tell them the same thing every time. I would say, you're my son and I love you. Every other person in the world will call me Adam, but you are special. You get to call me daddy. Nobody else in the world gets to call me that, but my children. You have a special, special place in my life and in relationship with us. Every time my kids call me daddy, I want them to know and remember that they're special to me. And so we are invited to know God as Father. The access that Jesus' uh, followers have to God is based in this intimate relationship that we have with God. Now, there is a concept in the world that's actually taught in Scripture that God is the Father of all humanity. Right In Luke chapter 3, verse 38, uh, uh, Luke calls Adam, the first man, the son of God. 
making everyone who would descend from him a, a, a direct descendant to God. Again, Paul tells the people in Athens that we are all his offspring. And so in terms of ancestry, in terms of origin, we owe our existence to God as a father. But ancestry and origin are not the same thing as intimacy. And we know this in our own human relationships with our parents, that just because someone is descended from someone else does not mean we always have the relationship with them that we ought to. In fact, Jesus tells the Pharisees regarding this, the fatherhood of God of all humanity, Jesus actually tells the Pharisees that they are not God's children. In fact, they are sons of their father, the devil. Because they refused to receive the son, Jesus says, you don't have the father. You are of your father, the devil. And so from uh, a place of relationship, so from uh, uh, the, the only person that has the right to claim this relationship is Jesus Christ himself, the son of God, the only begotten son. And so this is perhaps the greatest gift we are given in the Lord's Prayer. We, we are not uh, called children of God because, well, we're human. We are called children of God because we are in Christ and he is the son of God. So we are invited into not just a special relationship. We are invited into the relationship, the relationship that Jesus has with his father. And so this is an incredible gift that we get to be children of God. And this relationship is not, it's not just in title only, but it's relational, it's legal. The, the child of a father was, uh, not only had special access to their father, but is an heir. And an only child would be the heir of all things. And so we come to God asking for things, not hoping, wondering if God will just by chance give it to us, but we come to him asking as heirs, knowing that in Christ, all things belong to him and we are co-heirs in all things. God has what we need and longs to give it to his children. When we call God Father, it's not just a title. We are claiming all the rights and privileges of a child. And so when we come to God in prayer, we know that we will be received as children and provided for as children. But unfortunately, for some, the concept of Father does not bring warm, uh, 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 intimate feelings but some of our deepest wounds, some of our, our, our greatest hurts in life have come from somebody called father. Dads have been overly harsh and critical, absent and abusive, and so some have difficulty receiving the fatherhood of God as good news because it reminds them of pain. So if we're not careful, we can project our experience with our earthly fathers on to who we believe God is as a heavenly father. So if your dad was just waiting for you to make a mistake so that he could slap you on the wrist, then that's how you're probably going to view God for a while until that gets corrected. God is not sitting in heaven creating rules just to watch you break them so that he can discipline you. 
if your father was absent, then when you pray, it's going to be tempting to wonder if God hears you. Is he even present at all? And the good news of the gospel is that, yes, he is. He is present. He loves you. See, we should not project our experience of our fathers onto God. Rather, God calls himself father because our dads should be, be, should be striving to be like him. God is father, not because he's like our dads, but God is father because our dads should be like him. And for those of us fathers in this place, we should be striving to reflect the love of our heavenly father to our children. Fathers are supposed to be present providers and protectors. And when dads fail, God is still a good father. At the heart of prayer is this relationship. The the foundation of prayer is that God is father. Prayer flows out of this intimacy that we have with God as father. It doesn't matter how close or how distant we feel through Jesus, we're invited to cry out to the God who receives us and accepts us and, and, and welcomes us with open arms because we belong to him. Not because we've done anything, but because we belong to him through what Jesus has done for us. God accepts us as children. He is our father, but God is also our father in heaven. See, he is also not just near, not just present, not just uh, involved in our lives, but he is glorious. He is transcendent. He is holy, holy, holy. There is nothing else in all of the universe that is like God. And so this holy transcendence and yet intimate presence of our Father in heaven is a distinctly Christian perspective. He is glorious and holy and other, and he is near. He is with us. See, if your God is near, but is not transcendent, then prayer is just wishful thinking. You might as well ask the person sitting next to you to do for you what you want God to do, because if he is near, but doesn't actually have the power to do anything, then prayer is pointless. But if your God is near, sorry, if your God is is powerful, but is not near, then we also have no right to believe that he even cares. And so the only way that prayer makes sense, the only way that prayer is not talking to ourselves is knowing that God is both all-powerful and glorious and the creator of heaven and earth, that we're speaking to the one who made our mouths and also the one who loves us as children. He cares for us. He's near to us and he is powerful to intervene on our behalf. He is a father in heaven, but he is also our father. He is our father. The Lord's prayer is a family prayer. Jesus doesn't teach us to pray my father. He teaches us to pray our father so that even when we're praying privately, we are to understand the relationship that we have with God as in the context of our brothers and sisters. 
that we go to God as a people, that we go to God as a family, that we go to God as his children, not only praying for our individual needs, but praying for the needs of the community. Because church, we will only find our individual needs being met as God meets the needs of our community. The privilege of prayer is that together we come to God as our Father in heaven. And this gives prayer a whole new beauty. But it's not merely creating feelings of sentimentality. It, it, it's In this culture that Jesus was speaking to, each member of a family represents the family. And so... Children receive everything from their parents. They receive their identity from their fathers. They receive their honor uh, and their status in the community from the family. And they also reflect the family to the people around them. And so as God's children, we not only come to him and receive from him, but we reflect him to the world around us. And so when we pray as children, we pray not only knowing that God will hear us and answer us because he loves us, but we pray knowing that God wants to make us like him, to reflect him so that the world can see him as a good father. And so this actually makes prayer very dangerous. Prayer is a dangerous thing, right? You've heard to be careful what you ask for, right? Don't pray for patience, Because if you pray for patience, then God is going to bring people into your life that is going to force you to have to be patient, right? He doesn't just snap our fingers and like, ah, ta-da, we're patient. No, he brings us difficult people and then we we learn patience. Um, The same thing goes with anything we ask for from God. Every aspect of the Lord's prayer, there is this this double-sided coin where, yes, he wants to give us that thing. And he also wants us to be that thing for other people. He's going to call us into his work. So the first thing Jesus prays is, hallowed be your name. For, for something to be hallowed. It, for the longest time, I thought this was, Jesus was praising God. I thought he was saying, God, you're holy. But he's actually asking God to make his name to be regarded as holy. So for something to be hallowed, it means that it is regarded as holy. So then why just God's name? Why not God, hallowed be you? Why, why just God, hallowed be your name? Well, think about someone who's charged with a crime uh, that they didn't commit. You might hear them say that they want to clear their name. And so what Jesus is talking about here is God's reputation. That God's reputation, all that he is, all that he does, his name, his essence, his character, his attributes, that his reputation, his work in the world would be regarded as holy. And so Jesus apparently here is saying that God's reputation has fallen on hard times. God's reputation had fallen on hard times in the first century. God had called his people to reflect him in holiness. And yet he had to kick them out of the land 
because they refused to walk in holiness. And he brought them back to the land. And now they, they, they are a, using their, their status, using the scriptures, using their, their identity as God's people as a stepping stone to exalt themselves. Jesus says uh, before this prayer, he says, don't pray like the hypocrites do. They love to be seen praying on street corners. They, they are using prayer to exalt themselves rather than using prayer to submit themselves to God so that he will be exalted in their lives. And so because of this, God's reputation has fallen on hard times. When we use God to get something for ourselves, it is not God that we're following. It's ourselves. When we use the name of Jesus to give ourselves status, to give ourselves glory and honor and praise, we might not call it glory, but when we use the name of Jesus to our advantage, instead of seeking the Lord's will in life, we are stepping on Jesus to get to the thing that really is our God. And God's reputation is going to fall on hard times. And we've seen the reputation of Christ fall on hard times in our culture. Anytime we call God holy and do not live in holiness, then we confuse the culture around us. Praying, hallowed be your name, is a prayer not only for God to do something, but to do something in us, to cause us to live like we actually believe that he's holy. And so our priority in prayer is seeking the restoration of God's holy name, his reputation. Martin Lloyd-Jones, a British preacher and theologian, said that, that it is a higher priority for Christians to pray that God's name be hallowed than it is to pray for the lost. Because when God's name is hallowed, the lost see. It is a priority to pray that his name be regarded as holy. So how does God's name be regarded as holy? Well, ultimately, all of creation will be forced to reckon with God's holiness when his kingdom comes. The second request of the Lord's Prayer. Your kingdom comes. See, the kingdom of God is anywhere God is king. In one sense, God reigns over all the earth. He is the, the, the creator. He is the king over all the earth. But in another sense, God is only king where the hearts of his people exalt him as king, where we actually regard him as king and follow him as king and are loyal to him as king. And so both Jesus' disciples and us live in this tension between knowing that God is king and yet, and yet experiencing his reign in all of its fullness. We know that he's king, but we don't experience the kingdom in all of its fullness. But we get glimpses of God's kingdom bursting into our lives. As, as the Lord works, we get glimpses of his kingdom when Jesus establishes his reign in a human heart. When Jesus establishes his reign by establishing justice. When Jesus establishes his reign in our lives, in our families, and in our relationships through reconciliation. And so praying that God's kingdom would come 
is an eschatological prayer. It's, it's, it's praying for something that we know will come at the end of days when Christ returns and reigns on the throne. But it's also a prayer to see the kingdom of God break into our lives here and now. I just heard a story this last week that I can't think of a better example of God's kingdom coming into the life of a person, into the life of a family, into the life of a community. Many of you know uh, Than and Christy, who are two of our global partners serving in Southeast Asia. And they have been building a relationship since they've been there with uh, a man who is the town witch doctor. And this, this man is responsible uh, through his the powers that he has been given for like the safety and security of this whole community. Uh, and in this conversation with them, he let them know that when he was 12, uh, he, there were spirits that gave him power to heal and to make sick. The only downside was he was afflicted physically himself, that he was constantly sick. And at one point, someone had come and, and cast this spirit out But three days later, it returned with three more powerful spirits, and the situation was worse than it was before. And so he's sharing this with Than and Christy, and they invited some other local believers from the community into the conversation with him, and they told him about Jesus. And he receives Jesus as as, as more powerful than any of the spirits that have afflicted him or empowered him to heal. He receives Jesus. He becomes a Christian. They pray over him. The demons are cast out from him. He has health and joy for the first time in his life. His family has peace and the community is freaking out. Here, like, if that's not crazy enough, check this out. There was a prophecy in this this community. is a non-believing community. There was a prophecy in this community, like, way back in the day, that this year, the shepherd king would come and overthrow the present king. This is the kingdom of God. King Jesus breaking into people's lives. We don't have to wait for the end of time for Christ to return to experience the kingship of our Lord. He heals. He saves. He casts out demons. He is exalted in the world. People who have never heard of him before. And now this guy is like, Jesus is is more powerful than anything I've experienced. This is the kingdom of God. This is an answer to the prayer, your kingdom come. God's kingdom will come once and for all, but any activity of King Jesus in our lives is his kingdom breaking into the world. But this also means that we need to be ready when we ask God, your kingdom come. We need to be ready to be invited into his work as ambassadors ambassadors of the kingdom. This doesn't mean that everyone needs to travel to another country and learn a new language and a new culture, but it does mean that we are called to represent kingdom values in our lives today to proclaim that King Jesus reigns on the throne. And wherever God is king, his will is executed perfectly. It is only when we recognize Jesus as king that we can pray the next prayer with a clear conscience, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Because we know 
Those who have been following Jesus, we know as good as God is, when we pray for his will to be done, sometimes we find our wills kind of go like, but you know, just not in line with that. Oftentimes we say, God, make my will your will and then make your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. But we have to be ready when we pray your will be done. We have to be ready to allow him to reshape our own will, to reshape our own desires, to reshape our own hearts. We have to be open to receiving potentially difficult direction and to follow God's will. And this is why church prayer is dangerous. It is dangerous. It is not for the faint of heart. But prayer is also a means for our provision. And so Jesus continues after instructing his disciples to spend time praying for God's glory, his holiness, his kingdom, his will to be done. We recognize that our needs are few and simple. Give us this day our daily bread. When we pray this, we remember Israel's wanderings through the wilderness when God fed them with manna from heaven, literally giving them daily their daily bread, just sustaining them giving them what they need for the day. And so we too, we can go to God and know that he will give us what we need for the day. But again, we can't forget the communal nature of the Lord's prayer. That means that when God provides for you your daily bread, sometimes God's provision to you is intended to be provision through you to other people. Imagine a child coming to a parent and saying, I'm hungry. Uh, I haven't eaten in days. And the parent who has a pantry full of food says, I'll pray for you and doesn't feed them. That would be ridiculous. But church, we are family. Some of you have needs. Some of you have resources. Some of you have lack and some of you have abundance. That's not a problem. It's not wrong to have need. It's not wrong to have plenty. It's wrong to withhold our needs from being known in the community. And it's wrong to withhold our resources from meeting those needs. We are a family. God's provision to us is God's provision through us. Only when the community, only when our family has everything that we need, will we find our own needs also being met. And so as a family, we ask God to give us this day our daily bread, to provide for us, to lead us, to to be generous with us and with one another. Again, these are good prayers. We ask them for ourselves, but we know as soon as we do that God invites us into it. Have you ever prayed for, for someone uh, for, for some reason or, or been in a situation where you're like, God, I just really want you to do this for this person. Like feed this person, clothe this person, uh, you know, uh, w- whatever it is, like, would you do this? Why won't you do this? You ever get the sense that sometimes God goes, I want to, let's do it. I want to do that. Let's do it together. As the body of Christ, as the family of God, let's reflect God in the way that we love one another and the way we provide for one another. And so God provides not only in our daily bread, but also in the forgiveness of sins. He says there's a direct relationship between receiving God's forgiveness and then extending forgiveness to others. My my dad was not a believer. 
until two weeks after he was diagnosed with cancer. He and my mom got saved on the same day. And when he met Jesus, there was a family feud uh, going on. I, the, part of my dad's family did some really messed up stuff. And so my dad had said some really messed up stuff about the family. And I, we just thought as kids, like this is, well, we're just not going to see that family anymore. My dad became a Christian and I was talking to him one day and he mentioned that he was praying for his cousin. And I think he noticed my jaw on the floor. And, and he said, well, son, after learning about Jesus and everything that he's done for me to, to love me and forgive me, I figure the least I could do is love and forgive and pray for her. And I said, well, dad, you know, scripture says that if you don't forgive your brother from your heart, then neither will my father in heaven forgive you. And he says, it says that. And I said, dad, you were raised Catholic, 12 years of Catholic school. You know, the, our father, this is the very next verse. And I got out my Bible and I showed him and he said, so help me son, I didn't know it said that. And that was proof positive to me that the Holy Spirit, this wasn't a deathbed conversion. The Holy Spirit had taken root in his heart and, and in forgiving him, he wanted to show that love and forgive others. And so when we refuse to forgive, we actually deny someone the very same power by which we are forgiven. This isn't a works-based thing. This isn't if you want to be forgiven, then you have to forgive. This is if you don't forgive, then I don't think you understand the cross. If you think that this person's sin against you is greater than your sin against God, then you are denying the power of the cross and therefore you don't know its power to save you. You don't know its power to forgive you. And so if we are forgiven, we will forgive But we also know that sin, temptation, the world, the flesh, and the devil, it comes on like an onslaught. And so Jesus says, pray, lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. This is a request about recognizing our need for God to protect us from sin and temptation. James 1.13 says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. So while God doesn't tempt us with sin, he will at times draw us into circumstances to test us, to grow us, to strengthen us. Like the refiner's fire turns the heat up to purify us. But we need to remember in these situations, 1 Corinthians 10, 13 says, no temptation has overtaken you that is not common to man. God is faithful And he will not let you be tempted beyond your ability. But with the temptation, he will also provide the way of escape that you may be able to endure it. There is no checkmate in temptation that we do not put ourselves in ourselves. God will lead us into circumstances where our character is tried, but he will always give us a way out. Sin is never inevitable. And ultimately, Jesus provides this deliverance when he refused to back down from his own temptation. On the night Jesus was betrayed, he prayed in Gethsemane. He said, said, God, if there be any other way, Father, if there's any other way, make this cut pass from me. He did not want to endure the pain and the shame of the cross. He did not want to endure what evil had intended to do to him. But he also knew the only way to undo evil was to let it do its worst and then rise from the dead. 
See, sin, Satan, and death lose its power when it throws everything at you and cannot have you. So it's been said that, that sin commits suicide on the cross. When it does its worst, it is the one that is undone. And so Jesus endures the temptation. He, he, he resists sin and he accomplishes his purpose so that we can be invited into this relationship with God so that we can go to God and not say, God, let this cup pass from me, but Jesus, thank you that you drank the cup so that I wouldn't have to. That you endured the cross so that I wouldn't have to. And we know that ultimately our deliverance from evil comes in the death and resurrection of Jesus. That if we put our trust in Jesus, that we have conquered sin. The victory belongs to us in Jesus' name. So Jesus' life was fueled by his prayer life. And he's invited us into this same prayer whether we use it as a template to launch into our own prayer using these as categories or whether we come to the end of ourselves, we don't know how to pray and we make these words our own and just recite them back to God through what Christ has done. Either way, the Lord's prayer is going to be life-giving if you incorporate it into your life to make a regular practice of not just prayer, but this prayer, Jesus' own prayer that he invites us into. But it's not complete. Prayer is not complete. Until we recognize that as children of our Father, we are also invited into his business. In the same way that he wants to answer prayer, he wants us to be about his work. And so we can't pray for his name to be hallowed and then slander him by our words and our lives. We can't pray for his kingdom to come without also ourselves being for justice and being for righteousness and being for blessing the nations. We can't pray for his will to be done and then just resist him or pray for God to provide for us our daily bread and not feed each other or to pray for forgiveness and not forgive each other or to pray that God would, res- uh, would deliver us from evil and then put ourselves in situations where we know we're going to fail the test. We ask these things not so that God will, will just do them but also so that God will make us like him who walks in his ways. God doesn't want you to pray so that he can just change you into something that he loves. He asks you to pray because he loves you and he wants you to experience who he has made you to become. Prayer is an invitation to experience who he has already made us by grace. God wants to give you good things, but the best thing he can give you is himself. And this is what changes us forever. This is what we need most. We receive him and then he invites us to reflect him to those who also need him. Now in a minute, I'm going to close in prayer. And I'm going to close by again, reading the Lord's prayer. And if you're here um, and, and you're comfortable with this, you're, you're tracking with everything that we've been talking about, and you know 
that not only is the prayer good, but the work that God does in us as we pray is good. That you want to be someone that regards his name as holy. That you want to be someone who is about his kingdom business. That you want to be someone who is not only provided for, but is a provider and is not only forgiven, but forgives. And you understand the weight of this. Then I'm just going to invite you silently in your heart to agree with these words in prayer. And as you do, know that God hears you, that he loves you, that he is your father in heaven, that he is transcendent and glorious, and he is also right there with you. And know that he wants to change your heart and make you more like himself, not so that he will love you, but because he does love you. Our father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. God, we love you. We pray all these things in in Jesus' name. Amen. (laughs)